I'm from Germany, and we're celebrating tonight Christmas, and people are unwrapping presents just as we speak, so I can say Merry Christmas to you already. Um, this is an amazing reading. I don't know how your life would continue after something like we've just heard. Angels appear and bring a message, a very clear message. I just want to repeat it here. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. I want to explore just two words, the terms glory and peace. I've brought to you a little instrument here, which is a compass, uh, not a compass, my, my family is trying to educate me, it's, it's compass, you say, is that true? Not I always say compass, anyway, it's the same thing, and uh, a friend of mine gave, gave that to me when, when we started moving away from Germany, and uh, you know, he kind of hoped I would arrive in England <laughs> using this thing, so anyway, um, but you know, when, when you're on a long journey, and it really depends how long you're on the road for, but if you're on the road for a long, long time, or on sea for a long time, the thing you need to know about a compass is that it is a magnetic tool. So it corresponds to the magnetic fields around the Earth. And, but there's also what we call true north, which is something that is marked by the Earth's axis, and it refers to a ge geographic north pole. So that thing never shifts, but, but the compass isn't directed by that axis, it is actually forced to turn by the ma magnetic field, and that magnetic field shifts throughout the years. So the magnetic north is not necessarily the true north. Now, if you're just going from here to Godalming, it doesn't really matter, all right? So if you're using one of those in, in your Sunday walks or after Christmas walks, it's all right, you're going to get there, wherever you want to go. But if you actually want to go from here to, let's say, the West Indies and enter your boat, and you don't know where magnetic north diverts from the true north, then you might end up quite a distance away from, or you might miss those islands altogether and end up in New York or wherever else you might not actually have planned to go. But, you know, I want to use those terms, magnetic north and true north, just as a metaphor. You know, the magnetic north is maybe that which the culture preaches and forms and molds us in the way to think. And the message the angels are bringing, I want to liken to the true north, something we can actually fix our eyes on and be sure that we arrive. So, for example, magnetic north says you can incorporate God into your life and hope that you will get there. Whereas true north says you must not have any other God but me. Magnetic North says faster, higher, more. But True North says remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. True North or Magnetic North says look after yourself and grab life while you can. And True North says relax, do not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You will find your, all your everyday human concerns will be met. Magnetic North might say, you've got a right to be offended because he did or she did this and this. But True North says, owe no one anything except to love one another. 
for the one who loves another is fulfilled, has fulfilled the law. Magnetic North might say this, we need to protect ourselves from those who seek asylum, and all they want is our jobs. But True North says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. I love this verse, <laughs> as a foreigner in this country. That's just <laughs> Anyway, you know, our verse that we were looking at was talking about glory, this term, doxa, is used in the Greek, but it's, it's a term that really talks about someone's estimation or assessment. Doxa literally means what evokes good opinion. For example, that something has inherent and intrinsic worth. So when we're saying glory to God in the highest, what we're saying is we're looking at God for who he is, this amazing person. And when the Bible speaks of God's glory using doxa, it means that God is infinite, intrinsic, worth something. His character and essence are worthy of honor and the highest esteem. And that should give us a true north, a true direction. God is glorious in that he is ver his very being is of infinite significance. All God says and does and thinks is of supreme magnitude and superior consequence. There's nothing trivial about him. Just imagine for one moment politics with that sort of background, you know, where we think about God in the way that he is magnificent, superior, and everything he says goes. Imagine your family life. Imagine your professional decisions. Imagine your prayer life with that kind of clear view of who he is. To glorify God is to properly recognize his value and ascribe importance to him. That means nothing else is as important as he is or nothing else is important as what he says and does. Our assessment is that God has weight. You know, there's so much fluff in our world and so much stuff that is just pulling us in all sorts of directions, talk shows, and he said, and they do, and this, and look over there, and shouldn't you have, and shouldn't you be? But God is greater in magnitude, in wisdom, authority, and power, grandeur, and desirability than all else. We always get in trouble as soon as we give more weight to other things or people than God. In John 17, 5, Jesus speaks of having glory with the Father. So it's not just glory one way. Suddenly the Father shows his glory over his Son. The Father shows his approval. This is an outright claim to deity and eternality. If the Father glorifies the Son, then the Father expressed his opinion of Christ is that he is intrinsically worthy of honor and of praise. Jesus has value. Jesus by nature possesses quality, a quality of infinite value. And you know, we have that glimpse when Jesus is baptized and, and you hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He is giving glory to his son. He's approving of his son. And when we truly know God, we will personally acknowledge him and ascribe him glory. We will value him for who he really is. But what about us? You know, we are made in God's image, aren't we? What does God say 
about us. Now Psalm 8.5 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you, can care, that you care for them, yet you have made them little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. Did you know that God created you with an inherent value? He created you in his image. So when you wake up, look in the mirror in the morning, you can see a glimpse of that value that God has put in, into you. And by creating man and woman in his image, God invested in, hum, uh, in humanity a profound dimension of dignity. And that's so precious to protect. You know, a dignity that surpasses any other creation on the earth. But the Bible also talks about, and we just had our confession time, you know, we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Somehow we curved in on ourselves and suddenly we've lost some of that value, we've lost sight of our value and, and we've been acting up as if we aren't valuable. We've treated one another as if we aren't valuable. And, you know, every time we miss the mark, that's what the Bible says is a definition of sinning, if we are missing the true direction, the true north, and veer off somewhere, what happens is we are not living up to what we are made to be. But you see, the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. Now what was lost here? We've lost sight of something. We've lost sight of who we are in God, of who he made us to be. And so this is very important to catch. Losing a sense of value by turning in on ourselves leaves us with a veiled view of ourselves and others. But we read in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Can you see the amazing thing that glory is and the importance of that? Now we ascribe glory to the Father because we see He is who He is. He is giving us glory by approving and giving us value. And so the, the veil is removed if we come to the Lord. And so all of us have had the veil removed, that have had the veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Suddenly we become like little mirrors. And we can actually show who we are made to be. And we can treat each other the way that God loves us, you know, in an unconditional way. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now that is true north, folks. This is really where it's going. You know, we're going to reflect who He is on this earth. And that will give Him glory. And you see, when the, the angels shouted, glory to God in the heavens and peace on earth. Now that was the moment when that was inaugurated, that process. To glorify God is to, uh, to each day see Him as He is, to connect with Him and to agree with Him. 
That's, that's glorifying to God. That's functioning as we are created to function. Now, in Holy Communion, Jesus invites us to connect with him and to join him at his table, a table where divine hospitality rules. All are welcome to draw near in faith, to recalibrate to Drew North, to understand who we are. The truth about God and the truth about yourself and the truth about the value that God places on you. For in the night that you and I betrayed him, he did not complain deeply offended by your behavior, but he picked up bread and wine to forge a covenant with humankind. I read from John 6 before we go into communion. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat this flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink, Jesus says. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Do you know, he called you to salvation when we told you the good news, and now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate communion. So just before communion, we reflected on what happens if we lose sight and direction of who God is, if we lose sight of the superiority and magnitude of his being. We lose automatically sight of our value too. And it's so inherent in, in us as human beings that we want to be valued. And we go to lengths to try and get somehow valued and try to get value out of each other. But do you know what just happened? You have just been approached in communion by someone who's forgiving you. And that is such a gift. What Jesus was doing by breaking bread and sharing wine was opening up the Creator's vision, which knows not death. God doesn't know death, you know? He lives and lives and lives. And even if you nail God to a tree, he rises again three days later, because death is not the end. Peace at last. So you can live as death were not even a problem to you. And in all of that, as we gather around the table, we are being given a bigger heart that is what being forgiven is all about. Suddenly you realize who God is, who you are, how it all hangs together, how you're valuable and you don't need to grab for value by getting it from someone or through what you're doing. Glory to God in the highest, say the angels, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Do you know that God is approving of you? 
he shows you how valuable you are to him. When you hold bread in your hands, and he says, this is my body, broken for you. Well, that's a price, isn't it? It always amazes me how we apply or assign value to things. You know, there can be a piece of art. I've seen the other day, somebody's glued a banana on a wall with, <laughs> with, with masking tape, you know? And that thing was worth 200,000 pounds or something. It was sold for. You know, and some chap went up and took it off and ate it. <laughs> he was in deep trouble. They just glued another one on. Apparently, it had to be exchanged during the exhibition several times. But, you know, we ascribe value to something because somebody is willing to pay for it. And Jesus obviously placed high value on you. And God is glorified because his child is born. And second, Peace spreads everywhere this child is received. And that's why it's so important that we take communion because we receive by faith who he is. Glory is ever ascending from man to God and peace is ever descending from God to man. That's your chance tonight to catch some of that and take it home. Let it influence everyone that comes in touch with you. Glory to God in the highest and on earth the way that leads to peace or salvation among men with whom he is pleased. You see, letting the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, control your mind leads to life and peace, says Romans 8, verse 6. Peace to all with whom God is pleased. Who is, you know, who, who I don't know. Do you think, I mean, God is pleased with whom? What, what do you think? What verse springs to mind? I'll... You know, I won't ask you any further. I know which one I want to quote now, so I'll tell you. Um, it's actually Hebrews 11, verse 6, you know, where God speaks very clearly about the fact that no one can approach God without faith, and no one can please God without faith. It needs that, that little bit of trust, of this trustful approach to God, and through faith, you participate in the peace that is yours in Christ. It is the peace that comes from being approved of. Knowing that you are loved and that God is for you is that peace that you can carry even within circumstances that are so di diverse. And you, in the midst of your feelings going crazy, you know all is well because God said so. God is pleased with you. You don't need to find peace by seeking approval from people. See, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, uh, or, you know, he, he was walking here among us. I need to get a bit of light on this because it's so small, I can't read it properly. Um, you know, he says, your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. Interesting, isn't it? Other, other Bibles say, your glory doesn't mean anything to me. I don't take any glory from men because I know you don't have God's love within you. What happens if God's love isn't in, in the person? All, you know, God's love is unconditional. But if God's love isn't in us, then it's human love. And human love is always conditional. You see, my I love you then becomes, oh, please tell me that you love me too. 
You see, I do something for you because I want to show you something, because I want to get something out of you. I want you to return what I give to you. This is, this is the crippled love that we are left with if God's love isn't inside of us. And Jesus walking amongst his people is saying, look, I'm not going to take glory and approval from you guys because your approval is always conditional. If, if I do something you applaud, I'm liked as long as, as I do that. But as soon as I say anything that in your view isn't right, you're going to crucify me. And that's why I'm not taking any of that. I am living and breathing the unconditional approval of the Father in heaven. And that is my peace. And with that, I'm willing to go to the cross because I know he approves of me. And, you know, it's my decision to go to the cross. He will approve of me anyhow. His love is unconditional. And therefore, I'm free. And you see how important it is to to catch that, that freedom that God has for us tonight? If people don't have God's unconditional love in them, all they can do is love you on the condition that it serves them. But God doesn't seek human approval, and when we are called to glorify him, it's for our own good. We are not approving of him. What we are doing at that moment is we are sticking to true north. We are sticking to the fact that he is magnificent and what he says goes. It's our salvation, honestly. And when you give glory to God, you connect to him and agree with him. Can you imagine to agree with the maker and creator of the universe? Then things work well that positions you to receive truth that, is, uh, that sets you free to love unconditionally. You see, it's important to receive that truth. Only then you can actually love people. You see, Jesus says again in, in that context, no wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Another translation puts it this way. How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the, the one who alone is God? You see, glory and peace go together, but only if it's linked to the unconditional, unconditional approval that God has for us. So that positions you to receive truth that sets you free to love unconditionally. And that's when you start to share his divine nature, escaping the world's corruption caused by human desires. And suddenly, you know, you read something like Isaiah 26, 1 to 4, where it says, Our city is strong, we are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Can you see? God keeps you in perfect peace, in perfect knowledge of his approval upon your life when you trust in him and when you keep your thoughts fixed on his love for you. 
Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord is the eternal rock. So therefore, you can give uh, Jesus the responsibility you feel for your spouse, for your children, for your job, for your studies, whatever it is that you feel a burden for. It's the opposite of fear is faith, and the Lord is your helper, you see. You will not fear because what can man do to you? If he approves, who cares what others say? The Lord has given me a strong warning, says Isaiah 8, 11, 14. The, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. It's important to know that God warns you not to think like everyone else does. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one you should make who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. You see, that's true north, and we need to hear that. And I want to finish my thoughts with Jesus' words from John 14. I'm leaving you with a gift. That's good. Do you want to unwrap it? Are you ready? Okay, take the bow off. Here's the gift. Peace of mind and heart. Don't even have to go to a meditation class now. And peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. That's what Jesus says. This is what God says. The peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. Now may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Amen.